Welcome to Clarity Fun Podcast. I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and this is episode 10. And I'm joined again with Dr. Kelly Burton. Hello. Hi, Kelly. How's it going? Good. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We're continuing our uh, mentoring of young philosophy students and thinking about some of the challenges they will face. Last episode, we talked about philosophy as an area and how it answers basic questions and contrast that with the skeptical view, which either in one way ignores those questions, even though it does still give answers to them, or it, when, it's, when those questions are brought up, it says, we don't need to do that because we can't know the answer anyway. And, and it ends up usually then treating philosophy as one of two things, either a history of ideas, so then you'll study other people's answers to those questions, or as a kind of uh, a school class on how to argue. So you'll have your view, I'll have my view, and we'll just learn the best way to argue. And so that's philosophy as an area. And I think today we are going to talk about philosophy as an attitude. And that is something we mentioned in the last episode, the love of wisdom. And I want to ask you this question. In all of your career, and it's not a loaded question, I, really, I mean, I'm really curious what the answer is. In all of your career and as a student, many levels, right, undergraduate, graduate, did you ever encounter a professor who said, they want to be wise. Sadly, I have had, let's just say, when I went to the university, I've had zero who have claimed that. I thought that, but I didn't want to assume that. Um, but that wasn't on, especially in the secular university. Right. Um, wisdom, maybe, I don't know, wisdom maybe is somehow associated with religion in their mind, and so they think, well, yeah. we don't want that. But of course it isn't. I mean, uh, there are textbooks about the wisdom wisdoms of the world. Right. But that still kind of promotes a kind of skepticism because it's like, well, there's this world wisdom and that world wisdom and we don't really know what wisdom is. Right. This is actually kind of funny. I, I'm thinking about it and I have not even discussed wisdom in any classes I can think of. Not even like, what is it? Yeah. I think it might have come up for me in doing history that, and, and just connected with Socrates that he was interested in wisdom and only then because of what the Oracle of Delphi said, that he's the most wise. But then it was in kind of in passing, and we went on. And, and I think what it was, and the view taken was, he's the most wise because skepticism. Yeah. Actually, I have a funny story, and it's related to um, what we're doing right now. As a young graduate student, I remember being in a class, and the professor asked, what is philosophy? And I said, oh, it's the love of wisdom. And he's like, you can't possibly think that. And I had to back up and, and remember, oh, yeah, it is broader. I think he wanted me to get a broader definition like what we're trying to develop here. But uh, I did say that, and it was laughable. It wasn't even one of the options. It was not even. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because obviously that's what the word means right. in Greek. Uh, but, but I'm wondering what the, the concern is about wisdom. Like I, I was suggesting maybe it is viewed as a kind of religious term, and that can't be the case because it was, a, it was an issue right, that the Greek and Roman philosophers wanted to, to work on. What is it to be wise? And, and there it was closely connected to the good life, right? To be wise is to lead the good life. Yes. Well, going back to what we were talking about in the previous episode, if we've abandoned explicitly doing metaphysics, then we've kind of abandoned doing ethics in terms of the good life as well. And so maybe that's the quote unquote fear of talking about wisdom is it's connected to a tradition where you have to do other work that we've kind of abandoned because we can't really know. Yeah. To be wise. And um, there's a kind of skepticism, even when you look into, the, say, the Romans, like Cicero, there's a kind of skepticism about 
how do you know if you've lived the good life? Some of some of what he's doing the dialogues on are about that question. How do I know I've lived the good life or not, uh, and been wise? And you can't really know until the end because how you die shapes that as well. Did you die well or not? Right. And so if you're still alive, you haven't died yet. So it raises questions about, okay, well, what is wisdom then? And we gave kind of a quick definition, which is wisdom is knowing what is good and how to achieve what is good. So there's a kind of, there's, it's not just knowing about, but there's an, an activity, achieving it, knowing right. how to achieve it in a particular circumstance. Uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. We also hang out with religious people and in religious contexts. Have you heard about wisdom in those contexts? Sometimes there, but even then it is rare. But usually it's it's this way, which is something that interests me. But they'll say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But what I've heard that taken to mean is that you simply begin by asserting God hmm. and then you go from there. Um, and so that may get into a kind of fideism. It takes that statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, in a fideistic way. I, I, I understand it differently than that. And so, yeah, but normally wisdom is not really something you hear people pursuing or it's high high on their list of what they want to achieve in life. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing to even think about as on a list, right? Like, well, I want a house, I want a car, a couple kids, I want to be wise. Like, it's number four or five down the list of things I want, as opposed to, it's the thing that describes having done all the other things well. Right. It's funny because I've been making a claim to my students, wisdom is the pinnacle of human achievement. Yeah. And I think at first it puzzles them, but I think after we discuss it, they agree. Yeah. Yeah, especially, well, especially if wisdom somehow connects with the good, and the good is the highest right. human achievement. Um, and so that, that gets into that question. And, and how about that in, in your career uh, as a student? I'm talking about as a student, but, by, but thinking about undergraduate and graduate and then at graduate levels, MA and PhD levels, did you ever come across the question, what's the good? I did in one context. I took a class on Thomas Aquinas, and I think we talked about the good there, but it wasn't like the good is the end in itself. It was more like the good is happiness, and then the question becomes, can we have that in this life, or do we have to wait till the next life, and then it becomes something like a beatific vision. So the good isn't achievable here now, and it's not connected to any work we do here. Right. So, so then it's, again, a kind of history of philosophy, and then you'll only study the good when you study the philosophers who explicitly talked about it. Because I right. think you'll find the same idea in, say, John Locke, even though he may not have whole whole sections on the good or or go into that. But um, you're doing it then still as a kind of history of philosophy. The, pla- the place where I encountered wisdom was not in philosophy classes, but in literature, cl- literature classes. Oh, interesting. So it might go over, was Othello wise or not? And... Could he have done things differently to have a different outcome? And so there was some sense in which I appreciated literature classes because they used the particular, say in that case Othello or uh, Gatsby, was Gatsby wise? Um, and then they got to the universal, but that's because of the professor I had. That wasn't because of, um, the book doesn't use those phrases, right? So you could read Shakespeare and not go over those things, but it's a, na- it's a natural question to ask, right? What, was this Othello's fault? Yeah. Obviously, you know, Iago's a bad guy, but was it kind of Othello's fault, too? Could he have done something different? So you start to then question, okay, what is a wise, a good life? What is a wise person? And so I remember that from literature class when we discussed that play, but that was just one class of all the literature classes I took, and so it was still very rare. Right. Uh, 
I would like to bring something up about the literature um, approach. It seems like uh, I want to just say we had some good professors too, not just skeptical ones, but yeah. they were old school. Yeah. And they were using literature as a way of knowing, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope we're not giving the impression that we only had uh, professors that we didn't like. I, I mean, I would say that was rare for me. I, I, even professors who I disagree with, I liked yeah, them. Yeah, I, I think I loved all my professors. Yeah, and you enjoy learning things from them. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about is the uh, challenges that they raise. And if, right. you, if you go in thinking, oh, this is philosophy, so I'm going to talk about how we know things, well, you may be disappointed and drop out. So trying to help you prepare for what you will encounter. Yes. But I think there are some professors that may not be in the discipline of philosophy that do love knowledge. Yeah. I think that it's interesting to use that word old school. Yeah. Um, one of the fields I ended up studying in religious studies was old school Princeton. And that's really old school. But we're talking about old school, just like an uh, older professor and a, a different generation right? where they hadn't yet. Maybe we'll talk about that, the difference between modernity and postmodernity. Yes. And, and so we mostly had postmodern professors, but we may have still, there may have still been hanging around a couple professors who were mostly shaped by modernity. And yeah, then when they approach literature, they approach it in terms of the kinds of universal human questions right. that we're all wrestling with instead of just getting lost in the particulars. And, and I think that goes back to wisdom. If there are these universal human questions, are there better ways of answering them, better ways of approaching life? I think that's kind of what they may have been getting at. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering, does wisdom then turn out to be a, like a practical rationality now? When we abandon wisdom as yeah. a kind of achievement, does it become a practical rationality? I think so. That's a good way to put it. In other words, the idea is, we all agree happiness is the good, and really what we mean by happiness is pleasure, and so wisdom becomes just, how do I get the most pleasure out of life? Yeah. That's so boring. And, it, and it's good to make that distinction, because a lot of my students completely miss the distinction between happiness and pleasure. And what they really mean by happiness is not what Aristotle meant. They mean pleasure, uh, feeling a certain way. And if I feel a certain way a lot, then I've had a good life. Yeah, but doesn't that feeling ever get old? Or it's so fleeting that you have to keep chasing it? Yeah, well, I think that's the problem with it that people have noted from the beginning, which is that the hedonic life is excessive. You have to go into excess in order to keep the same thing going. Yeah, and that seems to be not wise. Right. Ultimately. Yeah, ultimately sort of uh, self-destructive. So they might, they might hold up Epicurus and say, look, he, he did say pleasure's the good, but he did it in moderation. But once you say pleasure's the good, then it becomes a personal preference if you want to do it in excess or moderation. So someone might say, I want excessive uh, pleasure and I'm okay dying at 27. Right. That's the year, right? 27? Mm -hmm. uh, someone else might say, no, 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 I want to have uh, moderate pleasure and die at 80. Yeah. But that's just a personal preference then. Right. Then we just have to say, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. But let's, let's back up again and say, okay, so Maybe this is what's presented as wise in our day, but why should we think that? What's an alternative? Yeah. Yeah, that's where literature helps, right? Because you're getting into a story about people in different contexts, different people, different cultures, and you're able to see, although they have those differences, there are universal similarities. And so I know you and I, really, we, we studied for 
disciplines. Yeah. We were interdisciplinary before it was the thing to be. That's right. And we had philosophy, which we're mostly talking about, but we also both did literature and religious studies and history. Yep. All of which press you to think, they should press you to think about those, both the particular universal, a particular human condition, but also the universal human condition. Yeah, and I think you can even use literature to follow that line of thinking about the good life. There are many stories about people who pursued pleasure and ended up uh, in a bad place. Yeah. Uh, think of the death of Ivan Illich. Yeah. Didn't you guys just talk about that recently? Yeah, I, did, I have, a, have a talk on that at my um, uh, YouTube page, Renewal Philosophy on YouTube, on uh, Tolstoy and Hopkins. And yeah, we, we've been... We've been you and I have been studying literature as well. So that's a student might say that. I don't want to go into philosophy. I want to go into literature. And so a lot of what we're talking about applies there also. Yes. Or religious studies or history. Getting back to the love of wisdom as the pursuit of what is good. And it's interesting. It uses this word love. And I've noticed that that is a very empty word because it's used so often today. Yes. Uh, so we were, we were talking about how wisdom's not used. But love is used, but is empty. Yeah. And when Socrates talks about the love of wisdom, what kind of love is, is he referring to? What does he mean by that? Yeah, tell us, because I know you've done some work I think it's that. Eros. I just, uh, I have a, a video on this in, in my, um, my vlog uh, on my YouTube page. I just reviewed it in preparation for this. And, and it's, remind us the name of it. The oh, um, it's under my name, Kelly Fitzsimmons Burton, my YouTube channel. Yeah. And the playlist is called Thinking. It's the very first video there where I'm talking about the role of the professor. And uh, the professor should love wisdom, but the kind of love is passion. It's a, a seeking, a pursuit. Uh, so it's an activity love. It's like, this is the most valuable thing we could uh, attain to, so we should pursue it with the with, with gusto, basically. Well, when you think about how that the idea of eros love is usually confined to romantic love, right? Where you're pursuing the other as the object of desire. Yes. And how uh, emotional, and you use the word passionate, that can be. And that's what's interesting, right? So imagine inserting instead of another person, you're inserting the good there, and yeah. you pursue it with that devotion. You're writing Valentines to the good. Right. You're taking the good out on a date. I want to get to know everything I can about the good. Right. So that's a sense of loving the good. Yeah, and, and you want to be united with the good. It's a kind of, I want my life to be united with what is the most valuable thing. And that's where uh, the word I, I said, the word love has been empty because it's, it's used usually to mean something like what pleases me. Yes. So I love something because it brings me pleasure, which we just talked about how empty that is. And then I love you if I help you also get pleasure. So a lot of times that's just reduced to sexual pleasure. Right. And then anything goes. And sexual pleasure isn't the good. And indeed can be misused and destructive. Right. So the word love is limited and minimized to mean simply I love what brings me pleasure instead of I love and pursue the good. And, and it is true that the good produces happiness, which is not the same as pleasure, but it isn't sought for that reason. It's sought because it is the good. Yeah. Can I connect something that just came to mind? Yeah. Um, uh, when we pursue pleasure, it seems as though we're emptying, we're emptying the word love of meaning, but we're also giving our energy to something that isn't going to give us meaning. Ultimately, we spend our energy on the wrong thing 
And so we don't have the energy to pursue what is ultimately of value. So we may uh, waste our energy and, yeah. and that's part of death too. Yeah. So we want to, and I would say anyone who's going into philosophy should stop and think about, do you really love this? Like passionately love this? Or are you doing this for some other reason? Because it's going to take a lot of energy. Well, it's interesting. And that does take some self-knowledge because I've met many people who love this, quote unquote, where this is the academic life. And there's a lot to love about the academic life. There's no heavy lifting. <laughs> you get to read and talk about ideas a lot and sound smart. And so the things that you might love may not actually be wisdom and the good. It might be some of these other features of the academic life as opposed to other sorts of lives. Uh, other sorts of occupations. So I think it, it takes some self-knowledge to think, yeah, what what do I love here exactly? Why do I want to pursue this? And is this just a way for me to talk about things and sound like I've read all the great ideas? Or do I am I reading the great ideas as a means to coming to know things? Yes. And I think that's where the professor becomes the model for future uh, students that are going to follow in their footsteps. They have to model that love and uh, inculcate it in others. And if you don't love philosophy and you don't love passing it on to others, it's going to be a burden. Yeah. And you'll become crabby. Yeah. Well, and I wonder about that. If if there's a kind of, uh, that's as you and I are calling ourselves old (laughs) and giving advice to younger ones, that's the temptation of old is to become cynical. Right. And you become disappointed in life because you were you had all these great expectations. You started off with this uh, energy, and then you find out, oh, it didn't get me where I thought it would go. And I think when I've seen that in people, it's always because they have the wrong view of what is good. And then what they maybe their solution is, oh, I'll double down. I'll keep. I'll try even harder. Or they just give up. And, yeah. and, and another option, a third option, is to say, well, maybe I've been pursuing something that isn't the good this whole time, and I need to reevaluate that. Right, and that's difficult later on down the line, so we're suggesting you should evaluate that now while you're young and just getting started. What do you love, and why do you love it, and what's driving you? Yeah, and how does that, uh, yeah, and, and, and you can partly do that by observation. Yes. You can look at what you're doing. So, so in other words, we might deceive ourselves and say, well, I love being noble and honest and virtuous. And, but we can look and see, like, well, how, what do I actually love? Well, I love to play video games. Right. Uh, now you might say, wait a minute, you're saying those aren't noble? And I, no, I'm just saying uh, comparing the way we view ourselves with how we actually spend our time. And then that helps us see. You, you can answer, what do I love, just by looking at how you spend your time. Yes. Agree. Do you go home and study just because you love it? Yeah. And that's what we'd want to know as we get to know people uh, talking about Eros earlier, uh, romantic love. Wouldn't that be a good way to set up a dating site? (laughs) Uh, You have to put on there what you believe is good because that's the first thing you want to know about somebody. And and, uh, what do you pursue as the highest good? So you don't put down, uh, I love pina coladas and walks in the rain. (laughs) You'd put down, oh, I think virtue is the highest good. And someone else will say, no, it isn't. Happiness is the highest good. And they'd both be mistaken. Right. Expose yourself to uh, to external criticism and see what happens on the dating site. Yeah. I think we can make money this way. Yeah, I think so. Uh, lonelyphilosophers.com, <laughs> right? Or something like that. And yeah, where to find uh, the good. Searchingforthegood.com. <laughs> yeah. How to discover another. 
So all that's to say, whether it's knowing the other or knowing oneself, uh, coming to have that self-knowledge, this is another one of the important sayings in philosophy, know thyself. And that doesn't mean you come to know, like, oh, I, I like uh, Italian food and I like motorcycles, but uh, you come to know, what what's my belief about the good? What does that say about what is real? And what does that say about how I know things? That would be self-knowledge. Right. And this is... Uh going back to what you said earlier about the uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it seems like fear and love go together. Yeah. And we're talking about the love side of things, but the fear side is the fear of not having the good and not having meaning that goes with the good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Fear there is not like craven fear. It's more like awe or recognition of the position of this one. So the fear of the Lord, I take that to especially emphasize an understanding of the eternality of God. Yeah. Only God is eternal. And so that's the eternal power of God spoken of in Romans one. And so you have that recognition. That's the beginning, not the end, right. but the beginning. If you don't start with only God is eternal, you won't even get off the ground. You've put something else in the place of God in your life. So, that's why that's one of the one of the three basic questions we've been talking about. What is real or what is eternal? What has existed without beginning? So is an implication here that if you don't know what is eternal, then you won't have wisdom later on down the line. Yeah. I mean I think it'd be really fascinating to, you know, read through, for example, Cicero on moral ends and see, here's someone who's saying he wants to know what is wise, but at as he gets to later in life he's he's has doubts about whether or not he's actually done that. Has he led a good life or not? Yeah, and and it's precisely traceable back to what does he view as is eternal? Yeah, his his knowledge of his claims about what is eternal. He does go into that somewhat, but mostly he just rides with those. He takes those assumptions. He he believes in a kind of a, a stoicism, believed in a kind of eternal return. All things are eternal, and so because of that, you resign yourself. You overcome desire, so you're not disappointed. Yeah. So it's kind of pursuing the, the good life in that view is a pursuit of kind of a peaceful state. Yeah. And I think this also is helping us see if we could recognize those assumptions, we can see why a person ends up where they do. If you can yeah. recognize their metaphysics, you'll see where the ethics lead. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things we we're talking about in the last episode, learning to think presuppositionally, learning how to diagnose the anatomy of a, another view by getting to those things. So so just like you might do anatomy and medicine, do anatomy of a philosophy. What does this view say is is eternal? Yeah. And how does that shape? A lot of times what they want to spend time on is the uh, ethical arguments. So in, in my book, The Natural Moral Law, I look at how we, we jump to these arguments about hot-button topics and argue unendingly about them without any resolution or agreement, but we don't get back to what is assumed in our position. Right. So do you want to say a piece of wisdom that we want to give out is use the presuppositional method in thinking? Yeah. Yeah, you need to to, to be wise includes loving uh, wisdom, which is knowing what is good and how to get the good. And it includes knowing yourself, which means knowing your assumptions, mm -hmm. going into it, identifying them. And then that will help you learn to identify others. So we'll begin there. And I think we begin there in philosophy. And I think our next episode will begin there also because it's a good transition into this question of what is it to lead the, lead the examined life? Yes. So thanks again for joining me. 
uh, and jo- uh, Kelly, Dr. Burton and for uh, joining us out there. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.